nah, I can get through here some way. I'll go around this way. How's that? <laughs> thank you, Benjamin, and thank you all of you all who are using your gifts for the Lord. It's great. Good morning, everyone. I want to welcome you to our service. I do want to take a moment. Hopefully, you've been praying for the churches in America, especially where the shooting took place. It's a reminder that we're in a broken and fallen world. But this is Veterans Weekend, and regardless of your political views, I don't think that we're to see the Bible and the American flag as synonymous. There's really no such thing as a Christian nation. But the Bible says righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is a disgrace to every nation, and we're taught to pray for our country. But particularly, I'm thankful today to be in a place where we have freedom and a great deal of that, not just because of the grace of God, but because men and women in the history of the United States have risked their lives, many have given their lives, so that we could have the freedoms that we have. And so this weekend is Veterans, uh, we, we celebrate Veterans Day, and so I would like to ask, if you'll hold your applause, if we could ask all of our veterans to stand, and then once they're standing, we'll give them a, a, a round of applause to thank them. If you're a veteran today, would you please stand? We had a bunch in the first service. I guess veterans get up early, right? That's basically. Okay, let's thank them. I also want to remind you to pay attention to the current. We have a number of um, exciting things, including a women's breakfast coming up, Middle East stuff, family dedication. There's a ton of things that, that you can call your attention to. I do want to remind you that what we're doing is we are studying the doctrines of the Bible. Now, the goal here, this is not classroom information to fill your head. This is Christian instruction for transformation and training. The Bible says that when we gather together that we are to give ourselves to teaching and training to equip the saints for the work of service. So we're, we're becoming disciples who know the word of God, who are living it out. But these are the things that we want to teach others. These are the things that we want to teach our children. These are the things that Christians believe. Now, we do have what we call a statement of faith. If you went through our new members class, there's like 30 people in it right now. Pastor John's teaching this morning. We work through this statement of faith. We believe that our statement of faith accurately reflects what the Bible teaches. So we've been teaching through the statement of faith and the doctrines of the faith, and we've studied about the Bible, about God. The last few weeks, we've talked about man and sin, and this morning, we're going to begin on my favorite subject, and that's the doctrine of Christ. We're going to talk about Jesus, and we're going to make a big deal about it because the Bible makes a big deal about it, and he's worthy to be, pardon my grammar, made a big deal about. So when you think about the person of Jesus... There's a lot to encompass. I mean, he existed for eternity. So we won't talk about his person. But then, um, by the way, if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. We, we constantly give away Bibles. You, you're welcome to keep one if you just forgot one this morning. When we talk about his humiliation, we'll come to that. But that's the time when he left heaven. That's what we celebrate at Christmas, when he came down to earth in those 33 and a half years on earth. It's a significant point in, in, in the life of Christ. But then after he died and rose again, the Bible says God exalted him. And that, that's something we want to talk about. What are the implications of an exalted Christ? And then what is he doing today? He's not collecting unemployment, waiting to get another job. He's seated at the right hand of God, but he's very busy and active. And, that, and that's where we're going to see what we are supposed to be doing as we connect with the exalted, seated Christ. But then next week, we're going to make a big deal about the cross because the New Testament does. We're going to talk about his work on the cross and 
all of the benefits and implications of that. So we're going to begin by talking about Jesus as a person. And let's remember that Jesus always is and always will be God. He's fully God. So a lot of people are confused about that. And I realize this is mysterious a little bit. But there never was a time Jesus didn't exist. God didn't create Jesus and say, I want to have a son someday. Okay? So Jesus is fully God. When he was on earth, he made no bones about it. They got it. He got it. He called himself God, and they hated him for it, and they tried to kill him. And there are lots of verses in the New Testament about Christ being God. And this separates us from Jewish people, because they don't believe in the deity of Christ unless they're um, completed Jews or Messianic Jews. This separates us from Jehovah's Witnesses. They believe God created Jesus. And it's not about separating. It's about what does the Bible teach, and why does it matter? So knowing that Jesus is God, we want to think, okay, so what was he doing before he came to earth? Was he just kind of up there going, when do I do something, Dad? No, not at all. When you read in Genesis 1-1 that God created the heavens and the earth, we learn as we read the progress of the, of the scriptures that, that different members of the triune God had different roles, different activities. And so even though it was God who said, let there be light, we learn from other scriptures that that it was Christ who was the actual mediating agent. It was Jesus who rolled up his sleeves and created everything. So the Bible tells us he's the image of the invisible God. First point of all creation. Now look at this verse. By him, by Jesus, all things were created. Everything in creation, visible and invisible, not just what we see, Grand Canyon, mountains, so forth, the stars, the sky, but even angels and, and heavenly realms and the kingdom of God, Everything has a little tag on it, made by Jesus Christ. And not only did he create it, but he's the one who manages and holds it together. Talk about being a, um, a, an important job. If Jesus dozes off for a second, the whole universe just implodes. And so we learn that all things have been created through him and for him. And, and in him, all things hold together. You know... As you, as you learn about life and you study just the way creation is, this universe that displays God's glory, it's pretty fascinating even to think about what holds things together. Like when I was a kid, I had to make my own water. We didn't have running water. So I would take two molecules of hydrogen, com <laughs> combine them with oxygen, and we would have a drink, right? What holds H2O together? Christ. In fact, one time two atoms collided, and when they came up, the one said, I think I lost an electron. The other guy said, you sure? He goes positive. <laughs> now, all kidding aside, just think about that. Jesus right now is managing the entire universe. He's holding all things together. And he's been doing that. It wasn't like he started doing that when he came to earth. But when you're reading the Old Testament, I want to put you on to something if you haven't already caught this. Every once in a while, Jesus shows up. Like you'll just be reading the Bible and all of a sudden they'll, somebody will encounter a man and then they'll go, I just saw God. There are, there are numerous what we call Christophanies, appearances of Christ in the Old Testament. So it's neat when you think about it. So you're reading along and Genesis, Jacob meets this guy and he wrestles until daybreak and you're like, who is this guy that he's wrestling with? Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why, why do you ask my name? And he blessed him there. And you're like, who is this guy? Well, look what Jacob said. Jacob named the place Peniel, for he, he said, I have seen God. Peniel means face of God. I have seen God. You, you mean 
You mean God came down to earth in the Old Testament? Yes. And these are called Christophanies, and you'll see appearances of Christ. Whenever somebody encounters someone, they say, hey, I, th- I just saw God. So he was creating and sustaining and appearing. And so when you're reading the Bible, I want to encourage you to look for Jesus in all of Scripture. Jesus said in, in, the, in the Gospel of John, search the Scriptures because they testify about me, Right? So I asked somebody once, I said, I read the Bible. I said, what was your favorite part? They go, well, I don't have a favorite part. I said, what do you remember? They go, I don't really remember anything. I'm like, really, a book this big? I don't think they really read it, do you? But let me just say this. Look for Christ. This book is about Jesus. It points us to him in wonderful ways, prophecies, types. So when they're sacrificing a lamb and laying their head on that lamb and confessing their sins, that was to point us to the lamb of God when the high priest offers his blood to atone for our sins, that was to prepare us for Jesus, the great high priest who offered his blood. When the Old Testament Israelites sinned and God said to Moses, make a staff and lift it up and he who looks will live. That's to point us to Christ. Jesus said, just as Moses lifted up a serpent, so I will be lifted up. And I want to encourage you as you're teaching your children the Bible, point them to Christ. Don't just leave them with Daniel in the lion's den. Don't leave them in the bones of Ezekiel. Point them to Christ. That's why we highly recommend we have a a children's Bible called the Jesus Bible Storybook. And, And every story ends by pointing them to Christ. And so it really is a joy to read the Bible and to learn about our Lord Jesus more and more. So you go, all right, I get it. Jesus is God. But what's the big deal? Well, the big deal is being God, Jesus was willing to do something unbelievable. He would, he would come to earth and become a man. And that's like, what? what? This is this temporary laying aside of his glory. See, when Jesus in the Old Testament, he was the, glo- he was the focus of heaven. The angels were going, holy, holy, holy. We know that. Because we see it in Isaiah 6, and, and Jesus quotes that passage. He says, these things said Isaiah when he spoke of me. So, so Jesus was willing to get up off the throne of God in all of his glory and majesty and to come down to earth. That's a great act of humbling oneself. He gave up some of his certain divine privileges. He's God to come down to earth and, and to die for me. And... and The term that's used to sort of express the first stage in that is what we call the incarnation, when Christ became a man. I want you to think about that. We sing Silent Night or or in the Christmas hymn, how silently, how silently, the wondrous gift of given. There came a time when Jesus got up from his throne, he steps across the stars, and he comes down to the womb of the Virgin Mary. And the Bible says the word, that's Jesus, he became flesh. And he dwelled among us. God was now present on earth in human form. And you go, wow, that's... So Christianity believes that God became a man? Absolutely. say, well, how did he do that? How could God become a man? Well, the Bible teaches that Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. Now, some of you may have grown up in a church where you recited some of these Teachings, but sometimes, I I used to say them every Sunday, but I was like, just all over my head. I was like, what? 
conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Mary said to the angel, how can this be? I'm a virgin. And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. Somehow there would be this miraculous conception that Christ would, would become a man. Now, if you grew up in the Roman Catholic tradition, you might have heard the term immaculate conception. And you're like, yeah, there's the immaculate conception. Jesus was conceived immaculate without sin. But actually, that's not what the Roman Catholic Church teaches. They teach that the immaculate conception was Mary's conception because they're wrestling with the idea of how could God become a man without being sinless or without becoming sinful? Oh, so his mother must have been sinless. So in Roman Catholicism, the immaculate conception is that Mary's mother conceived Mary sinlessly. And Mary, the blessed sinless virgin, gave birth to Jesus. Now, I commend them for using logic to say, how could Jesus become a human without being a sinner unless his mom was sinless? But the problem is, that's not what the Bible teaches. And we realize that their traditions, they believe if, if their church teaches it, then that can hold authority over Scripture. But, but you won't read that in the Bible. And you see, it doesn't solve the problem because if you go... How can a sinner give birth to a sinless child? Oh, well, we'll have to say that the mother was, was sinless. But, but, but it doesn't stop there. How could Mary's mother give birth to Mary sinless? Unless, was, was Mary's mother sinless? So she must have had an immaculate conception. So we can cut all that out if we just look at Scripture. And the Bible teaches that though Mary was a sinner, Mary called God her Savior. Sinless people don't call God their savior. Though Mary was a sinner, because it was a virgin birth, she was able to give birth to the sinless Lord Jesus. And so it's really important when you think about this, because this is where Christians get confused, and this isn't small. When Jesus became a man, he didn't stop being God. He didn't give up any of his deity, okay? So when Christ was on earth, don't think of him as poor Jesus. It must have been hard to be God for a while and then to, to kind of give up on that. Jesus was fully God who added humanity. Now, now that's like, what? How did, how did that happen? Well, one of the reasons Christians have misunderstood this is because of a phrase in Philippians 2. In Philippians 2, and by the way, theology, as we're going to see, is, is practical. Paul says, look, here's how Christians are supposed to be. Have this attitude which was in Christ. Well, how, how did Jesus roll? Well, even though he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. Now, two things. Number one, if you ask me, that verse teaches Jesus is God, right? Form of God, equality with God. So when Jehovah's Witnesses say, oh, well, Jesus didn't claim to be God and he wasn't God, I'm going, what are you talking about? It says he was equal with God. But then it says he emptied himself. And that's where people miss the point. Emptying himself doesn't mean he goes, gee, I got to get rid of a lot of my deity. Well, can I keep some of it? Oh, Charles Wesley said, all right, you can keep love. So we sing, and can it be? Emptied himself of all but love. And I go, wow. No, I don't think that's a good, good way to look at it. He didn't empty himself of all but love. 
He was still holy. He was still sovereign, omniscient. So it's really important to understand, God doesn't change. He didn't change in his fundamental deity. He just added humanity. So Jesus is this divine God-man, okay? Now, you say, well, what's the big deal? Well, this, this, this is something you're going to have to wrestle with, and even as you're teaching your children this, right? So as I, as I love to talk with my grandkids about Christ, and I was teaching my granddaughter about the deity of Jesus, and one day we're reading the Jesus storybook, and Jesus is getting baptized, and, and she knows that he's God, but then the father says, this is my son, and so I'm reading to her. See, God said, this is my son, and she goes, wait, how can God be, be down here in the water and be up there? And I'm going, don't ask questions. Just <laughs> like, wow, I need to think about that, okay? And, and if you've thought at all about Jesus, you're going, wait a minute, there's something mysterious about this guy. Sometimes he says and does stuff that only God can do. He'll say, why are you thinking that in your heart? And the disciples began to gather that, like, wait a minute, on several occasions in the Gospel of John, they said, Jesus, you know all things, right? Well, yeah, that's because he's God. But yet, in other verses, the Bible will say, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor. He had to learn things. Wait, what? How, why would God have to learn things? Because there's a mystery to his deity and his humanity, okay? So he wasn't two different people, like, I think I'll be a man today, or I think I'll be God today, but... Sometimes he said or did things that reflected his humanity. Because this is where a lot of people get mixed up. Wait, I thought you said Jesus was God, Pastor. He is. But when they asked him, when are you coming back? He goes, of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven. Nor the Son. I don't even know. Wait, Jesus, you know everything. You're God. What do you mean you don't know something? Well, there's the mystery. That though he was fully God, he added humanity. So there were times. For example, the Bible says God cannot be tempted. But Jesus was tempted, right? Well, there's another example. In his humanity, Jesus learned. Jesus suffered. Jesus experienced things. And you're like, wow, that's, that's mysterious. Some theologians call it the, the self-consciousness of Christ, like his divine consciousness. As a baby, is he, what's he thinking? Be careful, Mary, I created you. Right? It's just profound to think about God being on earth. But Jesus was fully man. Now, as, as a result of that, we have to remember he didn't have a sinful nature. Remember last week we talked about the flesh. One thing that made Jesus different from us is he was born in the likeness of human flesh. He was fully a man, but he did not inherit that corrupt disposition from Adam that we have. He did not inherit the flesh. But he was still fully God. And, and we need to just think for a moment. As you're reading the Gospels and you're reading about Jesus and the devil's tempting him, you're going, wait a minute. How, did, how, did that, how does that work? Well, first of all, mark this down. We know he never sinned. The Bible's very clear. Jesus never sinned. And by the way, that's a big deal to think about Jesus being tempted because that means he and I can connect in a level like he gets me and he understands what I've been through. So the Bible says, we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weakness. He was tempted in all things as we are. Jesus was sexually tempted, tempted with pride, tempted with laziness, tempted with worry, all the same things we go through, but without sin. 
so with confidence we can draw near to him so we can receive mercy and find grace to help. Right? So you might say, oh, pastor, I'm struggling. Well, Jesus gets that. And he says, meet me at the throne of grace and I'll help you. And I get it. Like if I said to my wife when she was in labor, honey, I, I know what you're going through. It'll be over before you know it, right? I better be out of arm's length because she'll snap my neck and put me under a bus because she's like, no, you don't know what I'm going through. Jesus knows what we're going through. And that's, that's a great thought that Christ can help me because he's, he's been through struggle. So why did he do that? Why did he become a man? As a Christian, as you're reading your Bible, Jesus did not just become a man to die for us. If that was the only reason, we could have sped up the process. Come down here, hang on a cross for six hours on Friday, and get back up there. That's not what happened, is it? And so as you're reading your Bible, we find out that there were numerous reasons why God became a man. One of them is this. So, so we could get a better grasp on what God is like, right? So imagine if we had WWGD, what would God do? I don't know, he's this giant spirit, right? But by becoming a man, the Bible says no man has seen God at any time, but his only begotten son, he has explained him. This is really important. I had somebody once say this to me. When I read the Old Testament, frankly, God scares me. I mean, that guy's mean, right? But when I read about Jesus, I like him. And I'm going, okay, let's try to put those two together. That's the point. When you read about Jesus, he is God. And so when Jesus was on earth, he was trying to teach his disciples. They got it later so that the apostles would say, he's the image of the invisible God. But one time they said to Jesus, could you show us your father? Just, you know, give us a little trailer of your dad. And Jesus goes, you don't need that. If you have seen me, you've seen the father. So this really helps because I have no idea how God would react at the cash register. But then I think, now how would Jesus react? See, he became a man. And, and, and as a man, he knows what it's like to be at the cash register, so to speak. He knows what it's like to go through hard times like many of you are going through. Right? And so it says he had to be made like his brethren. Why? So he could become a merciful and faithful high priest. This is a beautiful verse. Since he was tempted in that which he suffered, he's able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. We need to make a big deal about that. I don't know about you, but, but I, I like singing songs like, there's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. There's... There's none understands all my soul's diseases. No, not one. Jesus knows all about my struggles, and he'll keep me till the day is done. It's not a friend like the lowly Jesus. No, not one. No, not one. God's not just out there somewhere. God came to earth. And so when we sing, do your friends despise, forsake you. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Jesus, sympathize. He knows what you're going through. And there's times that, frankly, no man can help you. We can comfort you. Pastors and elders and spiritual leaders can, can pray with you. But ultimately, what we're trying to do for all of us, and I want you to do for me, is point me to Christ. Because he's the only unfailing person that truly gets me and helps me. And we praise him that he became a man. But there's another reason 
and that was to be an example for us. You see, the Bible teaches that God created man in his image. Remember we talked about that. How's that gone so far, right? Kind of lost our way a little bit. So now that we're Christians, the Bible says we're being renewed into his image. And so my template is Jesus. So WWJD is a big deal. And this is practical Christian living. Our mission is to make disciples who make disciples. Remember when Pastor John taught us, a disciple is a forgiven follower who is becoming like Jesus. Okay, and we're not just cleaning up the outside of the cup, like just go praise the Lord and blessed are you and wear a robe. God is transforming and changing us. But part of how he does that, how he's using the How People Change series and, and prayer and Bible study is, is I look at Christ and then I go, okay, so when Jesus washed the disciples' feet, he goes, you know what I just did? I gave you an example. You go, how did you handle that conflict? Ah, not so well. Well, you've been called for this purpose since Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. He left me an example. So it is entirely appropriate to ask myself, what would Jesus do? And particularly when it comes to hard times, right? And to point one another to say, hey, listen, while I sympathize with you there, I don't think that's how Christ wants us to respond to suffering. Does that make sense? So I'm thankful for that. And then finally, obviously, the greatest reason he became a man was to die on the cross for us. We're going we're to make a big deal about that next week. Not that we should just do it next week. But we're going to talk about he made one offering through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. He had to have a body. He had to be a man so he could die in our place. He had to be God so he could infinitely bear the wrath of God. But the Bible makes a big deal about those six hours when Jesus hung on that cross. He didn't say, I'll split it with you. He said, it's finished. He offered one sacrifice for all times. And this is what makes the Protestant faith a little bit different in that, a big bit different in many ways, is because we believe that the Bible teaches that it's Christ and Christ alone who brings us the forgiveness of sin. I don't do anything to earn my salvation. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. My sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. We just sung. His blood flowed red and my sins washed white. And if, if, if you're not sure, like, I, I hope I'm good enough to go to heaven, stop thinking that way. And I'll tell you up front, you're not good enough to go to heaven. But what he did on the cross is good enough to get you to heaven if you start trusting him alone. That's the glory of of Christ's work. And we're going to talk about that next week. So, okay, he comes, he dies. God gloriously raises him from the dead. So now what? Now, this is cool to think about. As a result of his obedient death, now, let's throw this out there. Jesus got a promotion. You're like, wait, what? I thought he was the CEO. He is. He's God. But as a result of taking on humanity, and obediently going up to that cross and dying for us. You tell me. The Bible says, being found in the appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself. He became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And for this reason, God highly exalted him. This is the New Testament, the apostles. God has exalted him to his right hand. Jesus is Lord of all. 
we do make a big deal about Jesus, right? And that's pleasing to God because he made a big deal about Jesus. Now think about this. One day, every person who's ever lived on this planet and every angel fallen or unfallen, one day, every knee will bow of those in heaven on earth and those under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So here's an interesting question. You're going to do it anyway. But if you wait to do that after you die, that bow will immediately precede being told, depart from me into everlasting fire. But in the mercy of Christ, if you bow now, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you will be saved. Amen? Amen. We, we bless you, Jesus. You are Lord. Let's say it together. Jesus is Lord. Say it with me. Jesus is Lord. I hope you believe that, and I hope that in your heart, you confess Jesus as Lord, and that's a non-negotiable. Jesus said, don't worry about your life. Confess me as your Lord and Savior. Now, having said that, as Jesus was exalted, this was not a last-minute plan on God, like, hey, that was pretty nice, son. Let me, give you a, let me give you a little treat here. No, this was planned from eternity. So the prophet Daniel, way back in the, in the Old Testament times, Daniel had this glorious vision and in that vision, he saw the father, the ancient of days, seated on his throne, and, and, and a son of man approaching him, this, this human. Who is that? That's Christ. Daniel says, I kept looking in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man, which, which by the way, that became Jesus' favorite name for himself. Jesus loved to call himself the son of man. The Son of Man was coming, and he came up to the Ancient of Days, that's God the Father, and was prevented, presented before him. And to him, to Jesus, was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. Now, do you hear what that just said? There's billions of people on this earth, and some from every tribe and tongue and people and nation have been bought by his blood and will stand before him. That's glorious. There won't be any American flags there, trust me. It's about Jesus as Lord and Jesus, the great king who will come back and will establish his everlasting kingdom on earth. King of kings and Lord of lords reigning. So Jesus understood this, that when he paid for our sins and he rose from the dead, that something just happened. God the Father transferred to him authority. When Jesus came out of the grave, we read in Matthew 28, right before giving the Great Commission, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. New Testament says, God raised him far above every principality and power, placed him as head over the church. And the risen Christ is exalted to God's right hand. And, and he himself has the entire universe in his entrustment. And, and this is the one you need to remember. One day, we're all going to die and stand before him. So being the exalted Lord, the Bible teaches that he's coming again to establish his kingdom, to judge and to rule and to reign. That's the one you want to get ready for. You're going to court. 
I solemnly charge you, Paul said, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom. If I'm visiting someone in the hospital and they tell me he's probably not going to live, I, I, I get very, very straight forward with them. I say, listen, you, you might leave this world. I'm going to tell you what's happening. The Bible says it's appointed to men once to die. Then comes judgment. You're going to stand before the Lord Jesus. And if you want to set foot in the kingdom of God, you've got to be saved. You have to be born again. You have to be washed by his blood. You have to repent and believe the gospel. And you need to do that now, not after you die. And the glorious Lord Jesus is coming. That's why we're teaching our children. Anybody who says to me, I just let my kids pick whatever religion they want. I go, you don't get it. Please, please point them to Christ. Prepare them for Christ. Encourage them to trust Christ. And if you're here and you're not sure where you're going, talk to us. Christ says, whoever comes to me, I won't cast out. Now, what's he doing right now? This is where it gets really good. Not that anything about Jesus isn't good, but this is cool. When he went back up to heaven, he didn't say, Dad, I'm bored. When can I go back down there? Jesus is busy. He's sitting, but he's busy. We call his present session like the judge. The court is in session. What's Jesus doing? Well, if you said, what you been up to, Jesus? He'd always have the same answer, building my church. Building my church. You see, he said to Peter, I will build my church. And right now, I'm not sure that Jesus is all that concerned about whether the eagles win. Although, you know, he, he in a roundabout way cares because it's all about advancing the gospel. But Jesus is building his church. And if, and if you and I know Jesus, we should be thinking similar to what he's doing. You go, well, how does he do that? Well, number one, he started out by buying it. When he went to that cross, he purchased the church with his blood. So the Bible tells us as elders to be on guard for the flock, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. And you go, okay, I'll make a note of that. Well, let me, let me tell you why this is a good idea. Brother Benjamin will tell you why this is a good idea to make a note of it. Because when we get to heaven, look what it says. They sang a new song saying, worthy are you, this is, this is Jesus, to take the book, for you were slain and you purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. That's going to be cool. People from all over this planet, we're going to be worshiping the Lord Jesus and God, Jesus, praise you so much. You bought us with your blood. That in itself, Right? Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. But he didn't just purchase it. Then he says, and look, I'm going to build it. I'm going to propagate it. I'm going to have kids. This thing's going to multiply. It's going to start small, but get out of the way, right? New Testament teaches in the book of Acts, God sent the Spirit of God and empowered the church, and it got going. And I love this verse. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. Even today, what a glorious thought that there are people being snatched out of Satan's kingdom and translated into the kingdom of his son. Would to God that someone here today would be added to the church. You go, that's why I bring them so Pastor Tom can get them saved. Don't ever say that. I can't save anybody. No preacher saves anybody. Jesus 
saves people. And he saves them through the preaching of the gospel. But he doesn't just save them in church. He saves them at coffee tables. He saves them in Dunkin' Donuts. He saves them at the rescue mission, in the prison. He saves the little children as they sit on mother's lap, as they're taught in Sunday school. And this is the kind of stuff you and I need to be praying because frankly, God doesn't care how many butts are in these chairs, but how many souls are coming to Christ. And we can sell you know, marketing strategies, free TV to whoever brings the most people to church. And I go, please stop talking. We pray for souls to come to Christ. And not just soul scalps. We had 100 kids raise their hand. Converts. Transformed people. Because the Lord is adding to his church. And guess what? It's not just in Bucks County. It's in Syria and Singapore and all over the world. And that's what's important. The only reason he hasn't come back yet is for this mission. The Lord is not slow about his promise, but he's patient, not willing that any should perish, but all would come to repentance. We got another day here, folks. And if you're not praying about this and thinking about it, recalculate if you belong to Christ. He's purifying the church. He's not just going, I want a bunch of soul scalps. How many people will raise their hand? He gave himself to cleanse and wash the church and to present her without spot or wrinkle. I don't know about you, but I got a couple wrinkles he's still working on. Might be a spot here or there, right? Attitudes and thoughts and idols. This is why we're studying how people change. That we, that we, and we might take this seriously. Church, when we gather in the name of Jesus, read Revelation 2. You won't be high-fiving your friends and going, hey, what's up? The Lord Jesus says, I walk among the candlesticks and his eyes are a flame of fire. And we gather in the presence and power and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we realize that he's here to sift the hearts of men, to strengthen his saints, to unleash the gifts of the spirit for the growth of the church. And he constantly prays for the church. He's at the right hand of God. He's praying for you, child of God, that your faith won't fail and that you'll be walking with him. And so I want to, I want to, close this morning by, by asking you to pay attention to this classified. Help wanted apply here. Be nice for us to go, that was interesting, right? But we're not, we're not here for information. We're here for transformation, which comes through the word of God's information, all right? So, so let's just stop for a moment and go, wow, he talked a lot about Jesus today. Mm-hmm. Is Jesus your Savior and Lord? Maybe I don't, I don't know. Well, if you don't know, that's what we're here to help you. Maybe the person you came with, we want to help you. But please don't go, I, I don't know. I got too much on my mind. Get everything off your mind if you're not sure of Jesus as your Savior as Lord. Because the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He wants to add you to his church and wash you and change you. But most of us, I hope, or many of us, you say, yeah, he is my Savior and Lord. All right. Do you love Jesus? You're like, wait, what? Why would you ask that? Because he asks that. So he says, for example, if you love me, you'll do what I say. You go, I love him, Pastor. I sing about him all the time. Cool. How about this? Jesus says to Peter, Hey, Peter, do you love me? He goes, Lord, you know I love you. He goes, good, feed my sheep. Did I stutter, Peter? Do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Tend my lambs. My lambs, the little ones. 
wait, I thought I heard we can't get enough Sunday school teachers. What? We can't get enough Sunday school teachers to feed the lambs downstairs? You're like, are you guilting us, Pastor? I'm telling you the word of God. If we all sing how we love Jesus, but we're not willing to say, maybe I could take a turn downstairs, help me, am I missing something? Jesus says, if you love me, feed my sheep. Well, Pastor, you know, I did my turn, or I need a break, and I understand that. I don't want you to go down there with an angry spirit, but if you love Jesus, love his children. And how about your relationship with Jesus? And this is a big deal. Christianity is not a bunch of rules. It's a relationship with Jesus, right? If I said, how's your relationship with your wife going? You say, well, good, bad. She's mad, sad, glad, had, I don't know. But same thing with Jesus, right? Don't think of this as, 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 a, as a perfecting of yourself. It's a relationship. So Jesus would say things to churches. He goes, hey, busybodies or busy people of Ephesus, I appreciate your hard work, but I've got this against you. You lost your first love. You've lost your way. It, it's not that complicated. It's, it's being in love with Jesus. Say, oh, I love him a lot. I don't have a lot of time for him, but man, I'm with him in spirit. What? You don't have any time for him, but you love him? So let's think about our relationship with Christ. And while we're thinking about it, are you learning to worship and delight in him? You already know how to worship. I've seen you watching football, right? You know how to go, ah, right? But have you ever, ah, about Jesus? You're like, well, that's not in my personality. And I'm not asking for you to jump up and down and scream, but just to find delight in Jesus. He's precious. He's a pearl of great price. And I love to sing about how I'd rather have Jesus than silver and gold. I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than wealth and land. <clears throat> Wouldn't you? But yet my heart says, well, there are many suitable replacements. After all, Tom, we're in America. This is the land of opportunity. Take it easy. You got retirement coming. Eat, drink, and be merry. I wonder how Jesus feels about that. So I got to do constant idol cleaning just like you do. Cast down every idol. Cast out every foe. And Lord Jesus, help me to set my affections on you. Light a fire in my sorry, lazy soul. And then capture us, Lord, with your mission. Well, what's he want us to do? He says, look, I'm going to build my church, and this is where I'll close. He wants us to advance the gospel. Well, how? By your life, by your prayers, by your involvement by your relationships, by your parenting, you men, by your spiritual leadership in your homes, by our humility to admit when we messed up. Jesus is about winning people to Christ, building up his church. And so what, what is it that, that Jesus might be calling you to do? This is exciting. He's got work for you. He's like, hey, you mind if I borrow your hands and feet? Because I want to make you like me. I want to live through you. You're like, I'm not Pastor Tom. I'm not going to Dunkin' Donuts and standing up and preaching to people. He doesn't care about that. But he says, if you follow me, I'll make you a fisher of men. And as uh, you say, well, you ever been baptized? Nah, I'm not getting baptized. Why not? Jesus said, go and make disciples and baptize them and teach them to obey and grow and be in mission. So we're all in this together, right? We know exactly what he's called us to do. Right? To be Christ followers, forgiven worshipers, growing.
That's why what we sing matters, what we believe, what we pray, what we're learning, it matters. And I pray that when you, get, when you go home today, you'll go, Jesus, <laughs> I praise your name. I praise your name, Jesus. Don't praise my name. Some of you are going, I'm cursing your name right now. Um, Praise the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's say it together. Jesus is Lord. Amen. Jesus is Lord. Amen. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. We need him more than the air we breathe. Lord, please forgive us for all the ways we're falling short. But may we as a church be known for making much about Jesus. And Lord, may your power be present to heal, to forgive, to transform and to unleash your power so that the gates of hell will not prevail. Add more to your church all over this planet. Bring glory to your son, dear Heavenly Father. And we long for that day when he returns and we see him face to face and we worship him in untethered delight as we glory in our wonderful Lord and Savior. May we go home and love our spouses and parent our children pointing them to Christ. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great week.